Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Gregory Melville and Susan Fox and Kathleen Bromage. This is where we live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Linda Schwartz is a Connecticut resident with a big job. For two years now, she's been the Assistant Secretary for Policy and Planning with the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs. Today, we sit down with the former State Veterans Commissioner to find out what she's been doing on the federal level. The VA system, whether providing timely disability compensation or quality health care to veterans, has had its share of controversy. We want to hear from you today, whether you're a veteran or whether someone in your family is a former service member. What kind of health care have you received at the West Haven or Newington VA hospitals? And in terms of benefits, has the VA granted your service-connected disability claims in a timely manner for you or your family member? You can join the conversation today, 860-275-7266. Email where we live at wmpr.org, or you can find us on Facebook and Twitter at where we live. I want to welcome back to the studio Dr. Linda Schwartz. Again, she's Assistant Secretary for Policy and Planning at the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs. Good to see you. Good to see you, too. So it's been two years that you've been in Washington. What's it been like? It's, um, it's been very uh, exciting, very busy, um, having an opportunity to make some difference. Little victories, not big victories, but moving the agenda. And I think, you know, my experience as the commissioner for almost 12 years And also, um, as a disabled veteran myself, uh, it has been uh, important for me to be at many of the tables, I think, because I did promise the veterans of Connecticut that I I would do my best. And uh, sometimes uh, it is very elementary to bring in to any discussion. Um, What is it really like to be a veteran? What is it really like to have some of these issues? The human side of it often gets forgotten in some of the deliberations. I mean, you have a very high-level position within the federal VA. This is a big bureaucracy. You're a veteran. You were used to speaking with veterans each and every day here in Connecticut. You know, how are you making that same commitment when you're working um, in Washington? Well, in reality, I um, I still get calls from veterans <laughs> in Connecticut to help them with things. I'm not sure. how they got my telephone number, but uh, we've been able to do that. Um, In policy and planning, um, some of my responsibilities is I co-chair a committee with the Department of Defense. Uh, It would probably be my dream job. It is uh, called the Interagency Council on Complex Care, and the real um, mission of this group, it's it's all of the Surgeon Generals and all of of the military services, to work to um, craft a warm handoff, a a, a meaningful handoff, when people have to leave the military because of uh, injuries, illnesses, or disabilities. And I think people don't realize that even when we're not at war, between 25 and 30,000 military members have to leave the military every year because of illness, injuries, or disabilities. So that's when we're not at war. so from that perspective, wanting to raise the visibility of what I had as a commissioner, knowing that this road has to go all the way home 
it just can't be DOD giving it to VA, that we needed to engage our state directors to bring them into the network because state directors do have a lot of um, connections to make things happen. So that's one of the things that I've done. But I also believe that, uh, perhaps you don't know, but I was in an aircraft accident. And at that time, the rules are very different. Um, I had to leave the military because of my injuries, but I was not eligible to go to the VA. They made me put in a claim so that I could receive care from the VA. And three and a half years later, I was granted eligibility to go to the VA for care. This was back in 1986. Yes. And we still hear stories today from veterans who, because of their um, their service or they're in the military, they get injured. It takes a long time to get those benefits still in 2016. I realize that, and I think some of the, the issues of um, unraveling that, um, it, it is a vast bureaucracy. That's one of the things I really learned. And um, although I have to say, under uh, Secretary McDonald and Sloan Gibson, they have made this like one of their priorities. And um, benefits is part of the package as well as the health care and the National Cemetery Association. But leadership has changed. Um, when I came to Washington, um, that was actually about two years ago, mm -hmm. actually, really in time. And... Um, at that time, the people that are in leadership positions now, only two of them, two of them, were there before I came. The rest of us are all new, all new, all new appointments. And um, I think benefits has been a real important thing because um, we've looked at the complexity of care, the computerized systems. These are all issues that have lingered for so many years, and the uh, increase in the number of veterans looking for help um, has been particularly, um, we have reduced the backlog by using many things. For example, um, most of the claims were being um, submitted in paper, sometimes paper and pencil. So they all be have they're digitalizing them now, so they have a better chance of not losing the record. So it'll be in the computer, and that they'll be able to do some work with it. Part of what my uh, area is looking at the records. Some of the people leaving the military do not have their full military records. So the the computers of DOD and VA do not speak to each other. They still don't speak to each other. Because this is something you brought up when you were commissioner here. I know. Then. It's like, <laughs> as my husband, Stan, said, <laughs> well, you're there now. Um, <laughs> you brought this up to them. <laughs> Give it a shot and see if you can change it. Mm -hmm. One of the things we do have, and I, I, I really want to say that it's not hopeless, there's something called the Joint Legacy Viewer. And what this is is it's like um, not the computer systems are not directly tied to each other. But VA, over, I think, about 300 sites, people, 300,000 uh, people have access to this. So when we're looking for information on a claim, we can actually pull up in this viewer and just look at the military record. 
And so in some of the things that I, one of the demonstrations, it was very impressive because they could actually pull up the rec, uh, an X-ray uh, that was taken five years ago to see that, indeed, the claim of uh, injury to the leg was substantiated. And so it kind of expedited the whole thing to be able to actually see that record. It's far from the best we can do, but it, it is working, and it's like... Uh, it's like having a stick shift <laughs> on your car. I'm speaking with Dr. Linda Schwartz. Uh, right now she is the uh, VA Assistant Secretary for Policy Planning in Washington, D.C. For 12 years, under three different governors, yes. uh, she was the uh, State Veterans Commissioner here in Connecticut. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Linda Schwartz, the number 860-275-7266. You can also email where we live at wmpr.org and as always, find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. So we were talking about process and, you know, how the um, the computers within, the computer systems, the databases between the Department of Defense and the federal VA, how they're still not connected. But what about making a human connection? So we hear often from veterans, and you know this in, in all the, the career that you've had, um, just sometimes having a veteran be able to call a phone number and talk to a real person and feel like their issue or problem is getting addressed in a timely manner. You know, we hear so often that, that that's still not the case because it is such a big system. Definitely. Um, we have over 22 million veterans in America. About um, 9 million are enrolled in VA health care. We have about 4.6 million uh, service-connected disabled veterans. And, of course, we are still a country at war. So that is not going to get smaller. It's going to get larger. And um, this secretary, uh, Secretary McDonald, had started something called My VA. It was, it is a program to kind of temper and re- improve the culture of uh, how VA actually, the people within VA actually look at at veterans. And I know one of the things that Connecticut should be very proud of, as I am, is that they started a community advisory board as part of this My VA, and uh, Connecticut, uh, I think because we had a lot of things already in place, became the very first state to have a community advisory board. And, the, and this is comprised of both military veterans, some of our uh, individuals who uh, do provide support services. Uh, Commissioner Sean Connolly is on this. So it's to bring to VA the local issues that need to be addressed so they don't have to go all the way to Washington and come back again. And while this is um, not in every state, uh, the uh, capacity for folks in Connecticut and Massachusetts to have a uh, 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 someone uh, talk to them about their issues. We've set up a new v, uh, website. I know a lot of our uh, Connecticut veterans are not, maybe they're better off now than they were with <laughs> using the, the computer systems, but uh, my VA, my VA, just go to that website and you can find uh, a lot of uh, a- a- different resources, especially numbers to call. And I know I want to talk to you a little bit more about some of the uh, some of the resources that we don't really talk about a lot that are available, uh, especially for people who are in crisis. 
Before we go to break, I did want to ask you, you know, there's been talk, and now that you're in Washington, you have to follow probably a little bit more about what uh, members of Congress and the private sector are talking about. But in terms of this huge bureaucracy and finding ways to better serve veterans, because you have the the benefit side, the health care side, and the burial side, there's been talk over the last couple of years about whether the system should be privatized. Why is that a, a not a solution in your Well, I know that we had uh, the Congress uh, had a commission on care. Uh, they were tasked with doing a an entire uh, assessment of the VA, and they were given nine months, uh, which is difficult. Then they made recommendations to the um, to the to the secretary and to the Congress. Uh, we, the VA, it's awful. I just said we, the VA. <laughs> <laughs> the VA looked at these, and one of those was, uh, you know, to actually um, privatize health care. Mm-hmm. So we have, we have not just your hospital care. Uh, we have vet centers. That's part of our health care provider. Who's going to do that? Uh, the unique... Uh, issues of veterans needs to be preserved. Um, and also, you have to be realistic. Now, I live in Pawkatuck, okay? Uh, that is not near West Haven, where I, w- I received my care. And t- in, the, in, today's, um, in today's society, nobody's going to drive 65 miles to get health care, no matter uh, and w- what kind of care that is. So, some of the Choice Act, and, and let me just be clear, the Choice Act was uh, not uh, VA's design, it was the Congress's design, but we have come to realize that indeed, uh, for our veterans who can't travel, and I'm not just talking about Connecticut, I'm thinking of West Virginia and some parts of Idaho and Montana, they can't get to the uh, VA hospital. Uh, the idea of using providers in the community to provide that care, um, that is a an important change. The but it wasn't working very well. Well, it's not working very well from the perspective of um, the middleman. Yes, <laughs> the, this is not your usual healthcare system. And let me just be honest: this happened before I came, so I was I was a crit, uh, before I came to VA. So I was critical of the fact that we have. But you don't understand that this was the way that. Uh, Congress wanted it to have a middleman, uh, HealthNet or TriWest, as the brokers. Not necessarily an insurance plan like you know. You know, you just you have the insurance. You go find the provider, and uh, and then they they pay the bill. That that that's not the way it works. These entities we call them the the um, third party administrators. They they have to find the doctor. So in some states and in some places, um, doctors were refusing to accept um, the Medicare, which is what the going rate is for reimbursement. They, they refused to accept it. Then that, there was also the fact that the bills were not being paid in a timely fashion. So many, many veterans who had actually been on fee-for-service, uh, I can think of one. She was a nurse in Vietnam. Uh, she had uh, been seeing a neurologist for years. VA had been paying for the care because she lives in a very remote 
Um, and she had aneurysms in her cranial aneurysms. That's a that's a real scary thing. But when they told her doctor he would have to take the Medicare, he said, I don't want to see her anymore after years. So um, let me just be honest. It, 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 it is not a perfect system. But the fact that many physicians would not accept the Medicare is an important aspect. And we're going to continue talking about uh, the Veterans uh, Choice Program as well as other initiatives under the federal VA. I'm here with Dr. Linda Schwartz. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll take your phone calls and questions after that break. This is Where We Live. This is Where We Live. I'm Lucy Nalbethanchel. The U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs became a cabinet-level department under President H.W. Bush, but programs for veterans like disability compensation can be traced all the way back to the start of World War I. How has the system evolved since? That's a question our guests can help answer. Dr. Linda Schwartz is Connecticut's former Veterans Commissioner. She's now Assistant Secretary for Planning and Policy at the federal VA. She's in studio this hour to take your questions, 860-275-7266. You can email Where We Live at WMPR.org. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. I want to take a quick call. Uh, Ron is calling from West Hartford. Ron, you're on the show. Oh, hi. Thank you. Thank you for taking my call. Go ahead, Ron. Uh, I just wanted to uh, say yeah, I'm a uh, 40% disabled Vietnam vet. Um, I was 10% uh, shrapnel disabled, uh, and I didn't know that I was uh, suffering from PS- PTSD until 2004. And uh, so, um, you know, I, I want to thank the VA for, for helping me get that claim. And I want also wanted to say that it took a service officer from the American Legion to help me address that through the through the VA bureaucracy, but I but what I did want to uh, mention, and, and I think the commissioner just mentioned this earlier, was about VA Health Net. Uh, I was getting treated for psoriasis um, off of outside of the VA, and it was getting paid for by fee basis. And then when they went to uh, this Health Net, what I was getting for free. I was now going to have to pay between 100 and 150 dollars a week, and uh, as somebody you know who's retired, I'm 67 years old. I just couldn't afford that, so I just wanted to make that comment and address. And I know the commissioner just addressed that a few minutes ago. All right, thank you, Ron, for your comment. Do you want to? Well, hey, Ron. Um, let me just say that um, your story is not uh, new. Uh, but uh, what I would encourage you is to uh, go back to VA and see uh, if they can't uh, help you. Why would we have to pay $150? Was that what that was required? The- yeah, I think because they were going to start taking it out of my insurance. I had the Medicare Part ah, yeah. C, and it was going to, and the insurance company, and this was a, it was incredible. I went from getting treatments to not getting treatments. I had to wait like 30 or 40 days. And then it was going to cost my insurance company approved it for a certain period of time, but it was going to cost me fifty dollars per treatment, and I was getting two to three treatments a week. Ah, okay. Did you go back to? Uh... Uh, yes, actually, uh, the good news is I did go back, and uh, the VA uh, was able to address that, and I'm back in the VA system. 
but I just did want to mention that because that was that system is so bureaucratic and is so knotted up, and you get put on hold uh, for incredible amounts of time. Um, and, and it does have to be uh, retweaked. That's for sure. Well, um, again, uh, thank you, and I'm glad you went back. And uh, all I can say is stay tuned to everybody because uh, I've used VA for my health care since I was injured in an aircraft accident many years ago. I had no insurance, and I was in pretty much the same place you are. Um, the issues now are that VA has a, is a, like in a renaissance. And there's a, a great awakening. Yesterday I was at a, a, a conference where it was brought up, and I, I agree with this, that we have to do something to de-bureaucraticize this so that the veterans get the respect and the, uh, that they deserve not have to jump through hoops. Uh, and I think that's probably one of the more driving forces in my um my service at VA. So um, I'm glad you went back. I would just say to everybody, stay tuned because there are a lot of changes that are going to be happening. And it's all centered for the very first time you're hearing. Our focus is veteran focus and, and doing away with the, uh, the red tape and sometimes the uh, indignities of having your care stopped uh, and then told you had to change uh, to your provider. So um, as you probably know, I am a nurse, and I think that part of my fabric uh, has been a very important thing in, 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 in being a voice for the veterans uh, in the highest uh, echelons of the VA. I wanted to ask you, um, you said you, you're a nurse. You understand the, the medical profession and, and health care. Also, you're a female veteran. You mentioned the, the VA is under a renaissance. How has the VA changed how they respond to women veterans? We know there are more now than ever before. Yes, there are, and that has always been one of my focuses. Um, I can say this. When I talk about people waking up, we had a meeting once where somebody said, why did we build all these hospitals with no single rooms for women? And, and and the answer is, well, you weren't thinking about them now, but there's no way you can do anything that you can't be um, thinking of women veterans. I am concerned personally with the number of women veterans, the suicide rate of women veterans. I am personally the number of women veterans are homeless. And the um, I, I know that the secretary and the Congress share our concerns. So reaching out uh, and part of what we're trying to accomplish with the, uh, the Center for Women Veterans and working with the Department of Defense, uh, as people are leaving the military, we see that we have to be moving upstream. We can't wait till they make that big jump from being in the military to coming to VA. We have to start there. But a lot of different um, changes have occurred, especially increases in looking at um, some of the specialized care needs of women veterans. You know, I, I don't know if the statistic is wrong or if I'm getting it wrong, but I, I think I'd seen at one point that of all the veterans in this country, about 40% are actually enrolled in, in the VA health care system. Is that correct? Well, let me just be honest. Um, we, we know that I'll tell you that 31% of America's veterans, only 31% of them actually use VA health care exclusively. Okay. 
Um, the number of people who are enrolled in VA health care are about 9 million, but they don't come there for all their care. So, for example, um, some may come because of the way in which Congress has made the law. If you are, let's just talk about Ron. He said he was 40%. He would have, he, they'll take care of what is his service-connected disability, but nothing else. That's a very different way in which our, 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 our parents, the World War II and Korean veterans, were tra- uh, treated. It's uh, not total care. If he wanted total care, you'd have to pay for it. We were just talking about um, women veterans. How many of them access VA? Um, you said that now there's an approach and a strategy to try to, to reach out to them, but how many women veterans are enrolled in, in the VA for getting their health care? I can't really tell you that exact number, but I can tell you this. Um, because I also sit on the Advisory Committee on Women Veterans, and w- at one time, many moons ago, I was the chairman of this group. So uh, for a while, it was just, I, I, I want to say actually, people did not keep up with the needs, the emerging needs of our lady vets. Today's lady vets are in harm's way, um, and they are not necessarily your World War II, even even Vietnam. They are high performance, and they deserve and need a change in the way in which we approach their care. So for some of them, and I, I will say this, that military sexual trauma is a factor in many uh, lives of our lady vets because people do not uh, realize that we know we we know that about twenty five percent of the women in the military are uh, are survivors. I like that term survivor uh, of military sexual trauma, and so therefore that really does make the their whole way of accessing care and finding help difficult. We're going to hear more about the initiatives under the federal VA uh, to not only serve uh, women veterans, but all veterans. After this break, I'm here with Dr. Linda Schwartz. She's the VA's Assistant Secretary for Policy and Planning. We'll be back in just a few minutes. If you're on hold to to ask a question, we ask that you keep holding. We'll be right back. But first, if you appreciate where we live on WMPR, here are my colleagues to remind you to call in with your pledge of support. This is where we live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Coming up Monday, it's been 100 years since the Easter uprising in Dublin that eventually led to Irish independence and civil war. On the next Where We Live, we learn about a performance by the New Haven Gaelic players that portrays the events of the uprising. And then we'll hear about that moment in history and what it means for Connecticut's Irish community. That's on Monday. Today, we're talking about the federal VA with Dr. Linda Schwartz. She's the VA's Assistant Secretary for Policy and Planning at the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs. She's a former Veterans Commissioner for the state of Connecticut. Do you have a question about how the VA has served you or your family member? You can join the conversation, 860-275-7266. I want to take a quick call. Uh, Rachel's been holding from East Naugatuck. Rachel, you're on the show. Hello. Thank you for taking my call. Yes. Um, I am a nurse in a specialist office, and... We have to provide medications, and our, to all of our patients except for our VA patients, we're able to electronically prescribe the medications, and it goes directly right from our computer system to the pharmacies. The VA patients, we have to give them a printed prescription 
they can bring it to the pharmacy at the VA and have it filled that way. Um, I feel like it's a disservice to them. Everyone else has it streamlined and it's efficient, but they have to yearly have to come back and get a paper prescription to bring it back to the VA. I just hope there's room for improvement for that in the, in the plan. Well, thank you, Rachel, for bringing that up. Dr. Schwartz. Well, uh, Rachel, uh, let me just say this. Um, the It is an interesting... Uh, I myself get my medications from the VA. Um, and what you're suggesting is that, um, you know, you be able to tap into sending this to the VA, uh, your prescriptions for your VA patients, and that we're just not there yet. Um, and I thank you for taking the time to help our vets to get their meds. Uh, we had we have been working on the pharmacy issue, but let me just give you a background. Many moons ago, well, not many moons ago, I would say <laughs> five years ago, if you did not if you did not have a prescription uh, signed by a VA physician, the pharmacy would not even fill it. Okay. So we had veterans standing in line to get into the VA so that they could see a doctor who could write a prescription that their doctor on the outside had prescribed so that the VA would fill it with a minimal, maybe even free, but with a minimal copay of $5. That was part of what was clogging up the issue. And then some of our veterans in Connecticut would get, would get to be seen by a VA physician who would not agree with the, uh, the medication that the private provider had uh, ordered. And so there they had been waiting all this time to get in, and then they found out that that would not happen. So in order to make uh, the very best that we could, and I was not there at that time. I have to say this was before I went to Washington. So I, I, I know what you're talking about. Um, one of the, and I'll just be real honest with you, uh, we're working right now on if a veteran from Connecticut goes to Tampa and needs a, uh, goes to the VA there that we can tap into the uh, system uh, so that they don't have to go see a physician in Tampa. So I'll just give you an example that we have, um, and this might be an option, uh, we have health, My Healthy Vet, and on that we have secure messaging uh, so that uh, we can actually talk to our, uh, our, our provider. I can talk with my provider here in, in West Haven, even though I'm down in Washington. I can reorder my medications on that, and they actually send them to me at my home. So that's a major step. I just want to t kind of put to where we are. So um, first of all, we want to be able to have our own system be responsive to veterans coming from one VA to another. And then the second thing that we're looking at, and, and we um, we at the VA, I, I talked a little bit ago about the Joint Legacy Viewer. As we branch out and go more into the private sector for the care of our veterans, um, I see that the Joint Legacy Viewer might be a way uh, for, uh, for you, private providers, to be able to then communicate this prescription to the VA. Um, we are, this is an operational thing, but we have not yet We've looked at it. We can do it with private providers. We just haven't uh, been able to um, 
get that far with it, but we do understand the nature of the problem you just um, articulated. We, um, and we want to be able to have people go to private providers and that VA uh, can uh, augment what you're doing. And so I see that happening. But as right now, as I mentioned, the computer systems are not necessarily the very best. So we've got about 10 minutes, and I want to get to some questions. We reached out to veterans uh, before the show because um, people have are busy or at work and uh, questions that they had specifically for you as the Assistant Policy and Planning Secretary. And uh, we've heard from a veteran, uh, Thomas Burke. Hi, my name is Thomas Burke. I am a former infantry Marine who served in Iraq and Afghanistan. And my question for Dr. Schwartz is um, how does she think that the VA can address the spiritual wellness of the veteran, uh, and in what ways can the VA improve resiliency in those going through mental illness? Thank you very much, and thank you for the question, and thank you for your service. I know it was probably a very difficult time, and and I I myself served during the Vietnam War, so I want to be sure that you don't think it's being glib. Um, Let me just say that the whole issue of opioids and the number of medications that have been prescribed for veterans has reached almost a crisis. Um, and we are now looking for alternatives. One of the things um, that you mentioned are, is spirituality and also resilience. I was just at a conference yesterday where we talked about this very same thing because for many, uh, faith and faith in themselves is something that needs to be nurtured. Um, I would just like to tell you a story. Um, I myself was in an accident where I had a traumatic brain injury many moons ago, and the doctors told me uh, I could never go back to nursing. I could never go back to uh, school. I should just go home and bake bread and thank my husband. Thank God I had a husband to take care of me. So uh, I said no. Uh, actually, and I kept saying it over and over and over again, and the doctors were really uh, wanted to give me medication, so I would stop saying no. But you see, the issue is my husband's a baker, and I knew he would never eat my bread, but it was the beginning of my touching my center core. So yes, yes, we are moving along those lines. We are looking at the alternative therapies, and um making them available to our uh, our veterans. On the spirituality, <clears throat> excuse me, um, we have been working a lot with the chaplain corps of both the military and the uh, VA because we see that oftentimes people don't want to talk to a, a mental health professional, but they seek the guidance of the clergy, and that is, that is something that is um, helpful to them. So we're upping the ante on that. We're making it more part of the plan. You mentioned the opioid crisis across this country. Veterans also as part of um, you know, the population that's suffering um, from substance abuse. What are some of the programs that the VA has to help them, residential, inpatient? Or? Yes, we, we actually right now, um, our, our biggest challenge is to look at the prescribing um, practices of, of VA. And and to acknowledge, I mean, it was to acknowledge that you know we all have pain. When they say you don't want to feel any pain, well, 
everybody has pain in their day. And so sometimes the, one of the things that we do, do at VA is we ask every time somebody comes in, we ask them to rate their pain from 1 to 10. Well, so you're calling attention to the pain, not, not describing what is 1 and what is 5 and what is 10, but then that kind of um, does influence the way in which the provider might prescribe. Through many t- tragedies, actually, of, op- uh, of the um, overdosing or too many medications, uh, the, um, it has become abundantly clear that VA has to change it. And now um, the Congress has mandated a joint work group of DOD and VA because, in reality, we have to go upstream. We can't be waiting to see what happens as they emerge from the DOD. We have to be talking, and it's um, for some of them, and I was uh, a nurse during taking care of casualties during Vietnam, you were really looking for something that would um, really take care of the terrible pain that were, the battle wounds were causing. But now as we look at the life you have to live, there's more emphasis again on the resiliency, mm-hmm. on alternative uh, therapies, and um, on, on looking for the spiritual mm-hmm. guidance. We're short on time, Dr. Schwartz. I did want to bring up this question. We've heard from uh, veteran advocates in the legal profession talking about the veterans who've received less than honorable or other than honorable discharges and how that really cuts them out of getting benefits. Um, Margaret Middleton, the executive director of the Connecticut Veterans Legal Center, writing us that veterans are getting bad paper at two times the rate. This is Iraq and Afghanistan war veterans. Getting bad paper discharges at two times the rate of Vietnam-era veterans and four times the rate of World War II veterans. So how's the VA addressing this epidemic that she calls of, of bad paper discharges? Well, a tip of the cap to Margaret for all the work that she does here, and she is a real advocate. I think the uh, several years ago when uh, Secretary Hagel was the Secretary of Defense, he asked for a review of all of these um, bad paper discharges. I would say um, it is it is on the agenda. One of the things that's happening over there in DOD land is that they are taking a closer look at the people. Uh, one of the things we ask them to do is we ask, well, um, where are these bad paper discharges coming from? Is there anything uh, in the unit? Are, is like one unit really churning out uh, bad paper discharges? And sometimes the um, issue is really here uh, in the reserve and guard units. And the other thing is um, it is definitely if anybody has a bad paper discharge and it is it can be associated with post-traumatic stress, uh, you can go to our regional offices, to the benefits, make that claim, and they, they can then authorize the care for the post-traumatic stress as a way of documenting this service-connected disability. That is about the only hope I can give you right now, except that uh, the pioneers uh, across this nation, like Margaret and her group, uh, are, are really uh, knocking on the door and making DOD look at this. We're just almost out of time. I did want to ask you, the veteran population is aging. What are some initiatives to help them in long-term care? Well, in actuality, 45% of the uh, veterans in America are 65 or older. 
And VA, uh, for the first time, I'm proud to tell you, uh, we, we developed the strategic plan in our office, so we have put long-term care and, and extended care because we know that veterans don't want to all go to nursing homes. There's a very exciting uh, program up in Vermont, White River Junction. It's called Veteran-Directed Care, in which the VA authorizes service-connected disabled veterans eligible for full VA uh, support uh, to uh, have a stipend of about $5,000 to manage their own care at home. And that would include, we would help them plan, but that would, that would include 24-7 skilled nursing care at home. That would be meals on wheels. That would be adaptive or even having people come to t uh, transport you from one place to another. I'm very excited about this, and I'm uh, hoping that we will be able to grow it. Well, we've, we're pretty much out of time, but we hope that you'll be able to come back to the show. There's so much that we still wanted to talk with you about, including <laughs> the suicide epidemic, uh, homelessness, uh, other initiatives to help uh, veterans around uh, the state and our country. But I do want to thank you, Dr. Linda Schwartz. Uh, she's the VA's Assistant Secretary for Policy and Planning. Um, you've been doing this job for two years. You commute back and forth from Connecticut. I do. I still have a husband. <laughs> <laughs> Who I hear bakes great bread. Yes. <laughs> well, I do want to appreciate you taking the time to come into our studios and, and take questions from our veterans. And if you appreciate this kind of conversation here on WNPR's Where We Live, here are a couple of my colleagues to remind you to call in with your pledge of support. And thank you. <laughs>